to ask you a question. Who here likes to fly? I, I, I love the, to fly. Like the, the exhilaration of it, the, the experience going to the, to the airport and just uh, all of that. Well, most of it, not security. No one likes security. Uh, but everything else, it, it's just fun. It, it, it's exhilarating to go and be up in the air, somewhere we're not supposed to be. We're not birds. Uh, but to go and do that and, and see the world around us. And my neighbor is a pilot actually for one of the companies here in Northwest Arkansas. And so he sends my wife and I photos all the time uh, from his office, a view from his office. And it's just incredible to get to see some of the, the pictures he takes, the places he gets to go, and the views that he gets to see. And I love getting to see because you see the world beneath you, everything going on down below. And you get to see so many miles around. And my favorite part of flying is the takeoff and landing. I love this because you look out your window and you see just a small portion of of the world around you. You don't see much, but then as you get up higher and and you ascend into the clouds, as you see more and more of the world around you, eventually you see everything beneath you. And did you know that there are actually airlines right now, because of COVID, are offering flights to nowhere? You can buy a ticket, go through security, and get on the plane. You go up in the air for about an hour and a half or so, turn around, and come back down. And you land the same place you began. And it's crazy, but these flights are selling out in minutes because people miss being able to fly, and so their work might not be flying as much, or they're not going for a trip for vacation, and so they miss that thrill. And so they pay money to do this and eat a meal. Uh, I don't know why you'd want to pay to eat airline food, but they do. And so it's awesome. Um, And so I want to take us uh, on a plane ride today is we're going to take off and we're going to land just like those airlines right now in the same place. And so we're going to look at one passage today and we're going to leave from there and see the world around at this time. And then we're going to come back at the end of the message and, and land there again. And so I need you to grab your ticket. And so there's a Bible in the seat around you. If you didn't bring one, we also have, uh, we have scripture on the screens. You can also find it in our app. There's a Bible, uh, the Bible app is in there. And there's also the sermon notes you can follow along today. So we're gonna be looking in Ezra chapter four. So go ahead and open up there. It's in the Old Testament. And as we're going to the airport, as we arrive at the terminal and we we check our bags and we go to our gate and they call our boarding number and we walk inside to the plane and we locate our seat and we scoot to our window seat because there's no better spot than a window seat. Am I right? You begin to see so much. Maybe one spot. The only better spot is any spot on an emergency row because you have extra leg room and that's way more valuable than than seeing out the window. But we're going to be in the best spot on the plane and that's the window seat of the emergency exit. So you got all the leg room. You still get the view as well. And so we're going to be looking out that window. And when we look out, we can only see a small portion of the world around us. We, we see some buildings at the airport, maybe a little bit beyond uh, that, but we don't see the whole picture. So let's look out the plane window in this Bible and let's see what we see as we take off. Ezra chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. Follow along with me. It says, When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families and said, Let us help you build. Because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. 
But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, you have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. If we look at just these few verses right here, it it looks like Zerubbabel and the heads of the households were being dismissive, were being rude, were being jerks to the peoples of the land. Ezra writes that that the people were enemies of Judah and Benjamin, but but could there be a, uh, a bone to pick with these people? Could he be painting them in a bad light? They're not really enemies. He's being uh, exaggerative with this. Maybe they did something to him, and so he wants them to look like the bad guys. They wanted to worship God. They wanted to sacrifice it, they said. But the Israelites said, we don't need your help. Cyrus told us to build the temple, not you. This seems pretty harsh, but Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the other people, they knew that old school faith learns from the past. And they knew that there had been things previously in the lives of their ancestors, in their lives, that they are learning from. And, and so as we climb in our altitude today, we have to look at the world around them. What things in the past led Zerubbabel and Jeshua to respond this way to these people? Did, did the people of the land do something to the Israelites previously and that's why they acted this way? Or a better question yet, what did the Israelites do in the past? We need to see what is going on at this point in history. And so to find this out, we have to gain more altitude in our flight. And as a plane is ascending, you start to see more of the world around you. You not only see the cars on the roads, but you see miles of roads. You, you see where they possibly came from, where they're going to. And you don't just see one car on the road, but you see multiple cars getting on and getting off the highway. And we've been talking about Daniel over the last several weeks and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how that they were exiled to Babylon as young men and the trials they went to that they learned about old school faith. But did you know that there were several other books of the Bible being lived out at the same time as Daniel? Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Haggai, Zechariah, these five books of the Old Testament, they were all happening within an 80-year span of one another. And even though these books, they, they don't line up chronologically in the Old Testament, they're all sc- scattered throughout, and some of them not uh, even in the right order then, is they actually all overlapped in time. And so when Daniel was a young man in Babylon, is Jeremiah the prophet was writing about the exiles spending 70 years in captivity. And while Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were being thrown into the fiery furnace, Ezekiel is writing about the valley of dry bones. And when Daniel's in the lion's den, after being thrown in, the exiles have already been in captivity for 70 years and are now making their way back to Jerusalem. So before we get to our cruising altitudes, we continue our ascent and we see the whole picture of Zerubbabel and why he would respond this way. Let's pick up in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1, with the exiles returning from Babylon to Jerusalem. Read with me. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken to Jeremiah, 
the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem and Judah. Any one of his people among you, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. Now you might be asking, I, I thought Darius was king, but Pastor Joe last week said that, that King Darius threw Daniel and the lion's den, but, but I just told you that when Daniel's in the lion's den, is Cyrus was sending the exiles back to Jerusalem. Well, Pastor Joe and I are, are both right. So Darius was the king of Babylon, but Cyrus was the king of Persia, which fell, which was over Babylon. And so when the, the Medes and the Persians took over Belshazzar and, and, and took over Babylon, it, it Cyrus put him in charge, put Darius in charge of the region of Babylon. It's like King Herod in the New Testament is he was ruler of, of, of Judah, but he was not Caesar. Or like in the United States, we have the president, but under him are governors of the individual states. And so it's the same thing as a king over a whole nation would put other kings under him to rule those areas, but they still reported back to him. And so Cyrus gives this decree, allowing the Israelites to go back to their land. It's been 70 years since Nebuchadnezzar started taking Israelites and transplanting them into Babylonian life. And Cyrus declares that the Israelites get to take back the vessels and articles from the temple that Nebuchadnezzar took before he tore down the temple in 586 BC. And later on in Ezra, we actually learn that Cyrus and, and another king, Darius, they both uh, financed the rebuilding of the temple. And so the cedar from Lebanon, the, the gold and money to pay the laborers, they paid out of the royal treasury. So Zerubbabel and Jeshua and about 50,000 Israelites start making the trek back to their home country to start rebuilding the temple. And we don't know for sure how long this trek would have taken. It's about 700 miles from Babylon in the Middle East to Jerusalem if you go straight. Uh, but they most likely didn't go straight. They, they took some bypasses. And if you were to walk the average of 20 miles a day, which they say an average person can do today, it would take a little over a month. But we have hotels and motels and gas stations and restaurants that we can stop at. They were taking everything they owned with 50,000 people trying to move. It's hard enough taking two little kids and my wife to Dallas for a trip. Uh, it takes us forever to do that. But imagine 50,000 people doing that. And so we can estimate it, take, it took at least four months uh, but most likely a lot longer than that. Be and we get that four months from Ezra himself. He made this trek years later from Babylon to Jerusalem when he goes back to Israel. And it took him with a much smaller group of people four months to do that. And so then we see in chapter 2, verse 68, after their long journey, they arrive in Jerusalem. And the first thing they do is they go to the location of where the temple used to stand. There's not even a temple there, but, but they're so excited about what God is doing among their people. And so they give a free will offering to God, each according to his ability. And I find it so interesting that they gave this free will offering. Everyone, it wasn't required. It was just on top of 
what they've done before. And so because of what God was doing among their people, they were, they were excited to be a part of it about what this temple meant for their people and the future generations that were going to be impacted because of this. And some of the people who were giving of this offering weren't even going to be alive when the temple was completed. But, but they knew that how people would come to know, know God and have a relationship with him because of the temple, a place for the Israelites to draw close to God once again after these 70 years of being exiled. And so they settled down into their towns after they do this offering. And then in chapter 3, it says they come together as one body. And they didn't have emails or Facebook or any way to communicate like we do now, but they all come together and converge at Jerusalem to rebuild the altar. They want to sacrifice burnt offerings to God once again. It's been almost 50 years since a sacrifice had been offered on this altar when Nebuchadnezzar tore it down. And so they go about building it. Let's read in Ezra chapter 3 verses 2 through 3 and follow along with me. It says this, Then Jeshua, son of Jozadak, and his fellow priest, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates, began to build the altar of God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation, sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. Now, now did you catch what happened here? Despite their fear, they built the altar. Despite their fear, they sacrificed burnt offerings to the Lord. Despite their fear, they sacrificed the morning and evening sacrifices. They were afraid. They were not many in number. They didn't have soldiers or many weapons. They're coming in to reclaim what was torn down. And there are people in the land who do not want them back. People who've gotten accustomed to having this land. And they're not just burning one offering and retreating. No, they're going back to offering the regular sacrificial worship offerings that they're commanded to do in 2 Chronicles chapter 2. Now, this is not the first time the Israelites were afraid of the people of the land. Almost a thousand years before this event took place, when, when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt after 400 years of slavery, and he tells them to take the land that he promised to Abraham many years before, they were afraid of the people then. And because of their fear, they did not do what God told them to do. And so they had to wander in the desert for 40 years. Fear doesn't stop faith. An old school faith learns from the past. Zerubbabel and Jeshua, they were afraid. But despite their fear, they learned from the past. And so I, I want to ask you this question. What fears are stopping your faith? Is it rejection? Are you afraid that if, if you live out your faith at work, you might not get that promotion because you won't, be able, you won't do whatever it takes to land that sale? Or, or worse yet, you'll lose your job because of it. Are you scared that someone might treat you differently if you stick to your convictions, what, what God has placed on your heart? Despite their fear, they built the altar. They were afraid, but they did it what was right anyways. Now, we've reached cruising altitude in, in, in today's message. 
And now we can see so much more of the world below us. We, we can see everything as we look out our window. We can see that car again. But now we see the neighborhood it pulled out of. We see as it jumps on the highway. And as it goes down the road, we know where it's going to end up. Its destination. God told the Israelites that they were chosen to be a people holy to the Lord. And he gave instructions to the Israelites through Moses as how they were supposed to act in accordance with being God's treasured possession. God knew that the people who were in the land that God had promised to Abraham would be a hindrance, would draw the people away from the Lord. And that they would make what was holy, unholy. And so God tells his people to remove that which will make them unholy. And to not make any covenants with them, to, to not have anything to do with them, to be done with them. But they don't listen. They turn their hearts towards the gods of the people. And, and what was made holy by God has chosen to be unholy. Now, a lot of what the Israelites went through in the Old Testament could have been avoided if they would just listen to what God had told them to do and done it. Isn't the same thing true for us? If we would just listen to what God tells us to do, and not just listen, but actually do it, wouldn't a lot of things in life be easier for us? Now, hear me out. I'm not saying that life will be easy if you follow Jesus. It's not going to. As Jesus says, that the world will hate us and will persecute us because it hated and persecuted him first. But if we listen to what God tells us, how to live, how to act, how to respond. We're going to be living a better life. Not an easier life, but a better life nonetheless. There's a TV show I used to like to watch uh, that would come on every week. Uh, and you've probably uh, seen it at least once. Uh, but it, it was about a family and their, their business they ran together. And just, a, it was a, I think, a, technically a reality TV show about their life. And the, the characters are all very entertaining. Uh, but it's called Duck Dynasty. And I, I love that show. There's always something funny. Uncle Cy always said something ridiculous. Um, and uh, Phil Robertson had, had some words of wisdom that he would slowly speak out uh, throughout the episode. Uh, and so it was about this family and, and their, uh, their business that they all worked in together and they all lived near each other and would go on adventures essentially together. Uh, but this show would always end the same way. And that was the entire family around the dinner table praying and eating together, which is something you don't see in today's TV and much less actual real prayers and real faith. And so every episode would end this way and you can't help but think, man, I want my family to be like that. Grandparents and aunts and uncles and children and grandchildren all together sharing a meal, living life together in harmony. It wasn't always this way. Phil Robertson, the patriarch of the family, when he was a younger man, uh, his wife describes him a a as a mean man is he liked to drink a lot and he liked to run from the law and he got in a lot of trouble. And one time he's at the bar and someone's trying to tell him about Jesus and he runs the guy off. And another time he is in trouble with the law and so he decides to go hide out for a few months. And so he, he leaves his wife and kids and he tells Miss Kay, hey, you gotta take care of the family. I'll be back at some point and just goes. And so she doesn't see or hear from him and eventually he comes back and she tells him that he needs to go visit uh, the man he ran out of the bar. 
And so he agrees, and she gets a phone call a little bit later, and they tell her, hey, you need to come down to the church. And so she wrangles up the boys, and they get in the car, and they drive there. And when she walks in, she sees her husband up in the baptistry, and he's confessing his sins and his faith in Jesus, and he is baptized, and his life starts to change. And as he goes about life, it's not an easy change. It takes time, but he's slowly making his change, making little decisions over time. And he's reading his Bible, and he comes across a verse that says, don't repay evil with evil. And he thinks that that's really hard to do. Like, it's not going to work if someone's treating you evilly. is to not repay them that way. But he decides to keep working at being a Christian and growing in his faith. And one day he has the opportunity to actually put this into practice. And one of the ways he would provide for his family was through fishing. Is they, they're down south and that's what they would eat. And he would throw out nets in the water and come back later to retrieve any fish that came in. Well, people decided to go steal his fish after he would catch them. And so old Phil would fly up in his boat, catch him off guard with a shotgun and point his gun at them and says, the first one that moves dies. And I feel like Phil Robertson is a man of his word. And so he would do this and he decided, hey, I'm going to put this into practice. I don't know if not repaying evil with evil will work, but, but God, you've called me to, I'm, I'm going to give it a try. And so this time when he flies up in his boat and catches them off guard, is the guys are stunned and they're, they have his nets in their boat and they're pulling them up. And he goes, here's what we're going to do. You're going to pull up those nets and anything in them, you get to take home with you. He goes, I, I, won't, I won't keep them. And so the guys are stunned by it and, and wondering what the catch is going to be. And so they take the nets and they start to, to go off in their boat. And they keep looking over their shoulders, wondering what's going to happen. Is this guy going to chase after them because they just stole from him? And, and Phil had an opportunity. He could have been his old self. He could have run up with a shotgun, shot someone, and, and gone to prison. He would have never had his business. He would, he would most likely lost his family. But he decided to learn from his past and, and change his future. And so he made that decision. And what happened after that, the people who were stealing his fish, they didn't steal them anymore because he treated them kindly. He didn't repay evil with evil. And so he didn't have to worry about his fish being taken because of how he changed the future from his past. And so as we make our descent back down towards the tarmac in Ezra chapter 4, I want to look at Jeremiah chapter uh, 29, verses 10 through 14. Follow along with me. It says, This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, And not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you declares the Lord. And will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you. Declares the Lord. And will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Even though that they were going into exile for 70 years, there was still a hope. God had a plan. He was going to bring them back. And Jeremiah said in verse 13, 
you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. As Zerubbabel and Jeshua allowed the people of the land to partake with them, God's holy people, his treasured possession in the rebuilding of the Lord's house, they would have started that cycle again that began over a thousand years before. So they made a decision that day to listen to God, to not let others draw them away from him. It would have been easier to have more hands helping. It would have gone faster to build the temple if you had multiple people working, different skill sets. But they knew that old school faith learns from the past. And so they made that decision to not be like their ancestors, to be different, to draw after God no matter what. Now, I wish I could tell you that the Israelites stayed motivated and excited about God's house and they built it quickly and it was erected and they were good to go. But unfortunately, that's not what happened. As we look back in Ezra chapter 4, verse 4, we see that the people are discouraged and frustrated by the peoples of the land. And we learn that the real reason that the people of the land wanted to help out was was so they could slow the work or stop the work completely. And so as we look at Zerubbabel responding this way, we see that, that the people of the land got them so mad, so upset, that they stopped building God's house for 15 years. And they went off and started building their own homes and working on their own homes. And it wasn't until God sent the prophet Haggai to light a fire under the Israelites that the the temple got completed 20 years after the foundation was laid. And so when we look at how they responded and what they learned about the past, I want to ask you this question. What past mistakes do you need to learn from? Maybe your parents weren't the best parents. And so you're choosing to learn from their mistakes and and be better parents or grandparents. Maybe you know someone who has an addiction with drugs or alcohol. And you're making a stand to not follow in their footsteps. Or maybe you're the one who's made some mistakes in life. And you need to draw a line in the sand today saying, I'm done making that mistake. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to learn from the past. Your past does not have to define you if you choose to learn from it. If you learn from the past, you can change the future. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. And so I want to ask, are you going to learn from the past? Are you going to look at what's happened before of yourself or other people and change what happens in the future? And if this is your first time hearing about Jesus, about this free gift that is offered to everyone, I hope that you will make a stand today and leave the past behind. He will forgive you. He calls all to him. And he wants to have that relationship, just like God wanted to have the relationship with the Israelites, that intimate relationship. He wants to have that with you. He wants you to know that, that he died for your sins, for all of them, not just some of them, but every single one. And if you're a Christian and you're sitting there thinking, well, what does this have to do with me? Is we are not perfect. None of us are, as much as we try to hide 
it sometimes. There are things that we still struggle with, mistakes we still make time and time again. Is you are not past being forgiven. You cannot sin so much that God would never forgive you. He wants to have that close relationship. Will you come and draw that line in the sand today saying, I'm done doing that. I'm going to fully accept God's grace and mercy and be who he wants me to be. I can't make that decision for you. Only you can make the decision to do that. So will you decide to learn from the past? I would love to talk to you today after service. Come talk to me. Write on those cards and drop them off in the boxes that, that you've made a decision. You'd like to talk to a pastor. We'd love to reach out and discuss further what that means in your life. Let me pray for us. God, I, I thank you for this story from, from Ezra, Lord, and how Lord, we get to learn from someone else's past. Lord, I, I ask that you would help us to not make the same mistakes that the Israelites made previously. Lord, as we go about life, trying to lead the life you've called us to, Lord, you want to have a close relationship with us, Lord, but we get in the way of that sometimes. Lord, help us to learn and change our futures. Lord, you have called us to so much more. You've called us to be better. You've, you've called us to follow you. Lord, help us to do that in every aspect of our life. Lord, I ask that you would just draw us closer and closer to you, not for our own glory, Lord, for yours, because we can't do it by ourselves. We need your help. We need you. We ask this in your holy and precious name, Lord. Amen.